Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence, Holy Family, and St. Joseph in Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Dan Rhoda, and with me I have Father Eli Gieske. How are you doing today, Father Eli? Good. Good to be with you. Yeah, how's, how's your week going? Pretty good. Yeah, it's it's going fast. It, it's always, like Wednesday is kind of like a lot going on, Tuesday's a lot going on, and Thursday it's like, wow, the week's almost over already, and, yeah. uh, you know, Thursday's a little quieter, um, usually, for me, anyway. I mean, it's not as scheduled, so Tuesday and Wednesday are more scheduled. There's always certain things that happen, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I can't believe, I mean, we're recording this today, and it's September 30th. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's like, all right, well, September's gone. So yeah. that was a, it was like kind of, you know, the summer's like kind of waiting for things to ramp up and then things just ramped up. You're like, oh, okay, I guess it's October. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're going into autumn and everything. So yeah. And we have our clergy conference next week. So I'll be gone. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens on this. Our presenter is Bishop Felton. So he's maybe going to share some of his ideas of vision of what, what he hopes to see happen here in the diocese. So I think it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a, uh, yeah, just like a, like a hopefully exciting time to, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, probably spend more time with him and just the priests and kind of, yeah, have a, hopefully get like recharged a little bit too. Yeah, I think it will be. I think it'll yeah. be that experience. I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have, um, I guess, though, in two weeks, so the week after that, um, Intro to Catholicism will be starting. Starting Tuesdays, yeah. So at Tuesday, so yeah, the twelfth, the twelfth, yep. So we will be starting off. We actually have quite a few people that have showed interest in looking at the Catholic Church. Like, so not these are not Catholics; they're people who are thinking of becoming Catholic or want to know more about it. So um, we have quite a few people already interested. So yeah, if you know somebody, invite them to come, or you can come if you just want to learn more about the faith. So yeah, that's a uh, uh, holy at Holy Family Church. Uh, six thirty on Tuesdays. Six thirty to eight. Yeah. Yep. Good. Starting on the twelfth. Now this last week, uh, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd kicked off. Oh yeah, that's right. So they had their so Monday class this week and Wednesday class this week. So the first two classes and seems like they have a lot of kids. And I haven't heard how yesterday went, but Monday's class sounded like they were, the sisters were excited how it went and yeah, yeah, sounded like it was was fun for them. So yeah, yeah, and faith formation is. Just chugging along. Chugging yeah. along. So yeah. we had our first night at St. James yesterday. So it was kind of fun. We did Mass, and then we had uh, Sister Lisa, who is a Benedictine, come and speak to the kids about uh, kind of like theology body. It's just kind of like the, the very beginning of that, like how we're, we're made good, image and likeness of God and so forth and what that is. And uh, so, yeah, it was a good night. And, uh Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, well, uh, today we're gonna we're gonna be talking a l- little bit about um, our our diocese cool. and uh, kind of the namesake of our diocese, which is Our Lady of the Rosary, which is feast is next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're gonna talk a, a little bit about that. Um, but before we do that, Father, would you open us in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Lord, we come and we pray for our parishioners, uh, 
our parishes, and we also pray for our diocese as we talk about that today. We just ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to, to guide us, both as um, staff and parishioners, um, to be able to continue to do the mission of Christ, mission of sharing the gospel, the good news in our little corner of the world. And we ask you, Lord, to empower us to to do this work and strengthen us to, to be able to um, carry out that work. And may we be always guided and connected to the Holy Spirit so that we may do this work in, in the way that you're asking us to do it. And we ask um, our Mother's Intercession, who is our patroness, Our Lady of the Rosary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so uh, our Our Lady of the Rosary uh, feast that's coming up uh, this upcoming Thursday. Yeah, October 7th. October 7th, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, your kind of upcoming bulletin article yeah. is talking about this. So, um, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, you want to give us a little kind of overview of maybe the history of the feast? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Our Lady of the Rosary used to be Our Lady of Victory, and it goes back to the Battle of Lepanto, which was a big naval battle in, uh, I think it was 1570 or 1571, something like that. 70. Yeah. 70, okay. Um, between the Turks, who were kind of a big power in the east at the time, in the eastern Mediterranean, so they came from Turkey, that's, that's the name Turk, I think. Um, so the Ottoman Empire was kind of growing. That was, um, you know, kind of the Ottoman Empire kind of took over what had been the Holy Roman Empire, empire in the east, so they took over Constantinople, and they kind of took over all that land and were kind of um, a, a dominant military and political power in, in that region. They were also Muslim, so uh, there was sort of that that thing going on where the, you sort of had the Christians versus the Muslims. And so the Christian fleet was kind of a ragtag group. You know, they had some uh, part of the fleet was made up of Venetian ships. So Venice was a big um, city state at the time. You had some of the papal fleet. So the Pope had a little bit of navy. And then I think it was sort of a mixture of Spanish and other um, other ships. So they all gathered there. And Lepanto, which is, I want to say it's in the Adriatic or maybe it's right, right into the Mediterranean even. Um, and they had a big big old shindig where they all got down and had a big old fight. And um, very interesting that uh, there was the wind shifted right before the battle to give the Christians kind of the advantage. And so they were able to win the battle pretty soundly. And because of that, the Mediterranean became uh, basically free from the Turkish invaders that they were planning to come and invade Italy basically and if they had succeeded in that um, would have been kind of a game changer in terms of how the European map would have looked at the time so um, so it was a big thing and so right before the battle 
and leading up to the battle, they kind of knew that both sides kind of knew there was going to be some kind of fight because they were building ships and were trying to gather forces and so forth. And the, the Turks had been kind of taking over different places. Um, I want to say they took, uh, they had attacked Malta and they had attacked, I think, Cyprus and different little places that kind of were little outposts for the, the Christians. Um, and so, um, you know, up to this point, they had not really had a foothold in Italy or Europe. They'd kind of attacked um, on the western uh, or, you know, the western part of Asia. They kind of came across and then invaded like Hungary and Poland and those kinds of places, um, but hadn't really re- gotten a foothold there. So anyway, this was a big turning point for um for the Christians there that they were able to withstand this this big push by the the Ottoman Empire. So and Pope uh, Pius V asked for prayers. He asked people to pray the rosary. And so that's why uh people say, well let's do the prayers of Our Lady that we were able to defend ourselves and win this victory and so forth. And so that's why it became Our Lady of Victory and then later what's called Our Lady of the Rosary. So there's a parish in our diocese that was named Our Lady of the Rosary in west, uh, or east Duluth, rather, um, and that became the cathedral parish when Sacred Heart was closed and they renamed the uh, Our Lady of the Rosary the cathedral. So then we became the diocese patroness became Our Lady of the Rosary. So that's kind of how our connection to that is. And um, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I think it's fitting too having like the lake there. Yeah. So having a kind of water, Waterway. lake, sea mm-hmm. component. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, and you can see it very well from the cathedral. If you go to the parking lot that overlooks the cathedral school, you can see uh, Lake Superior well from there. Like when I was assigned at the cathedral, many mornings I would wake up and just look out over the lake and think, "This is this is a beautiful spot." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think it's a really uh, cool story also. Just just thinking about like kind of what you said, like if the Christians would have lost, like not only would the map of Europe look totally different, but the impact that Christianity has had on the whole world would probably look very different. Yeah, yeah. We've, you know? many many people would probably not be Christian who are Christian today, or at least have Christian roots that that have christian roots today because of that like if the if italy had become kind of dominated by the ottoman empire you know because the ottoman empire lasted all the way up until the first world war after the first world war was kind of um they were kind of taken apart basically and made into a bunch of different little things um little countries and so forth um but the ottoman empire was a big power up until that point, so that was really early on in their in their reign, um, and so if they had dominated Italy, maybe parts of uh, you know Austria and stuff like that, would we would have seen quite a different experience. You know, this is right during the Reformation time, right after the Reformation kind of really was taken off, and so the Christian nations were really weak because of that and were really struggling. Um, there was division in 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 the midst of of this time amongst Christians. So you had 
uh, Germany and the Holy Roman Empire were kind of in disarray. And so um, there wasn't like a united effort to kind of fight off the Turks. And so that they were able to kind of scrape together this little fleet of Christian ships to fight this battle uh, in a united way was uh, was quite surprising. So, Yeah, I think something also that's... Um, that I think about is, uh, is looking at like Christianity and then all of the empires that it's outlasted, mm-hmm. like even, you know, towards the beginning of Christianity when it's like the Roman empire, it's like, man, nothing, nothing's gonna, yeah. nothing's gonna outlast the, the Roman empire, you know, like it's just so powerful mm-hmm. and then it outlasts that. And then you think of like the Ottoman empire and, and then even like just like the Soviet Union, like mm-hmm. there's all these kind of like superpowers, and it kind mm-hmm. of it kind of puts things into context context a little bit. It's like, okay, well, who's the superpower right now? It's like, well, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, our day will come and the, go. The, the <laughs> United States, and so it's like, huh? It's like, am I more like, I guess, like, am I more connected to, like, my faith mm-hmm. or to this nation? Right. Because you know, like this nation's time will will come. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows when that will be? Yeah, um, and w- what that will look like. I mean, right. who knows? But 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 just like, I don't know. It kind of puts it puts things into context for me. Where I'm like, oh right, that like this isn't just going to be the way it is forever. But like the church will will last. Mm-hmm. Whereas like our country, who knows? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting. Our our faith has gone through whether many different kinds of rulers and empires and everything, and and it continues on, and it will continue on. Um, our country, who knows? But, yeah, it's interesting to think that, uh, you know, there's there's always going to be... You, you can imagine what Catholicism would look like without Italy being, like, the center of our faith, like if, if Rome were like destroyed or something like that, or like what would happen to Catholicism? Like it would continue on, but it would, it would look different, you know, mm-hmm. and that could have happened in 1570 or so, you know, so. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what happens now. I mean, Europe is definitely becoming less and less Christian. So, you know, is, is Christianity going to kind of going to go into this uh, hidden form where it's less less powerful, less visible, or is it going to have a rebirth um, and kind of a renewal? We'll see. We'll see what God has planned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're kind of maybe going from there into uh, talking a little bit just about like our like diocese here Mm -hmm. because, well, I guess... I mean, technically, the head diocese of the church is in in Rome, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. our local diocese is here in Duluth. Yeah, yeah. There's so there's the org- on the organizational level of the church. There's different little pieces that kind of all fit together. So you have um, the universal church, which is guided by the Pope, Holy Father. Um, He's like the bishop of the whole church in a sense. Um, so he's in Rome, and the Vatican City State is kind of like the 
um, it's kind of like the vehicle by which the the Catholic Church um, inter, in, interacts with other nation states. So the United States, Italy, all the different countries of the world. We have uh, the Vatican has diplomatic um, relationships with other countries, and so um, even though it's kind of like a secular vehicle in a sense to interact with these other people. Like that's kind of what they have been doing since 1870 when the Vatican city-state was established versus the papal state, which had ended at that point because the Italian uh, sort of nation came together and fought against the the Pope and so forth. And yeah, that's a whole other story. But anyway, so you have the you have the Vatican, you have the that level, the universal church. Then on the local level, we would call a particular church, which people don't use that language, but that's what, when we say a diocese, that's what we mean is a particular church. It's, it's a little segment of the church that has all the pieces of the church. It has an apostle, has the priest, has the laity. So the diocese of Duluth is a particular church, just like the diocese of St. Cloud and the diocese of Winona and the archdiocese of St. Paul of Minneapolis. These are all particular churches. So there's a relationship that we share with those churches and that they're all Catholic um, and we're all united to Rome. So there's that kind of level. Um, and then within the diocese, you have the parish and you have um, different organizations like the religious orders within a, within a diocese kind of have uh, a relationship with the particular church. So like we have the handmaids in our parish. They are uh, an organization within the church. You have the uh, the monastery of St. Scholastica. There's an organization within the church. So there's these different kind of groups that um, all work together as organizations to uh, do the mission of the church. So, um, And I think for many Catholics, we don't experience a lot of the bigger, broader church. We just experience the parish level. So we, mm-hmm. we see like what happens on the parish level. We see our faith formation program, our RCA program. We see our parish priest, and he does mass, and he does things, and we have our parish staff, and we take up collections every week to fund all the things that we do, and we take up collections for um, the United Catholic Appeal, which we kind of say, well, it's like a tax we have to pay, and people don't always really like, realize like that, that it's really important that we have that so that the diocese can do their work. The diocese does the work that we can't do as a parish partly because uh, we don't have the authority because we're not, like, a priest is not a bishop. He can't interact in the same way with other particular churches, with the with the Vatican, et cetera. Um, and partly just because we're small. We don't have capability to put on different events and stuff. So, um, Yeah, I feel like most people's, like, interaction with the diocese is, like, sending their kids to, to like, survive camp. Yeah, yeah. Or... Um, I mean, we haven't had the like men's and women's conferences because of COVID the last like two years. Yeah. But, but like that, that's yeah. probably when they think of diocese, hopefully they think of those kind of things. Cause those yeah. are the kind of things that the diocese does. But, uh, but there's a lot more to it, you know, that happens behind the scenes and administratively that, uh, the diocese really does a lot to ensure that the parishes function well and, uh, that they're functioning correctly. Like, as a priest, we don't get a lot of training in finances and stuff. And we have parishioners who 
are trained, but then there's like how do how do we do canonically like what the church asks uh, to bring to keep order in in the parishes, and how do we make sure that um, things are are done correctly so that somebody doesn't end up like with more authority than they should have or spending money that they shouldn't or these kinds of things. So, so there's some oversight that happens there, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it's also cool and not a ton of people like think about, like there's a lot of like priests that have the diocesan roles. Mm -hmm. So like kind of just normal everyday pastors and parishes all over the diocese, but they Mm -hmm. have, like a almost like second secondary role yeah um of do, doing some certain service yeah for the diocese so some of these things would be like uh you have the chancellor who's uh in charge of kind of like making sure things happen uh, correctly in the diocese like when somebody gets married in our diocese that's from outside of our diocese they have to get a letter from their diocese to our diocese and the chancellor makes sure Everything's in order and everything like that. Um, promulgating things like, you know, making sure that everybody understands, like, you know, how things are to be done. If there's a change in something, so they kind of put give give notice of those things. Um, like Father Jim Bissonette, who was our administrator, is now the vicar general. So he's kind of like the advisor to the bishop, and also kind of like. If you want to think on on an organizational level, it'd be kind of like the president and the vice president. So vice president kind of stands in for the president when the president is gone or not available or needs somebody to kind of oversee something. Um, Then you have like the presbyteral council, which is a council of priests who work with the bishop um, to oversee different things and talk about things that need to be decided or talked about or policy and that sort of stuff. You have the round table, which is like kind of a ad hoc committee that just kind of gives uh, advisement to the bishop on more particular things. You have the Office of Marriage and Family. So Father Anthony Craig, who's out in Crosby, um, works with Betsy Neepkins, and they kind of oversee that office. You have the, the Diocese of, or the, the Diocese, the uh, Office of liturgical or worship, I think it's called Office of Worship, Father Joel Hastings, so he's always involved with like ordinations and things like that, um, Chrism Mass, these kinds yeah, of like things. like the special, special liturgies. Yeah, of the diocese, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, vocations director. Vocations director, so Father Nick, my classmate down in Cloquet, he's in charge of helping guys who are discerning their vocation to the priesthood or religious to help them kind of know their path or whatever. So people kind of figure that stuff out. Um, there's probably others. Isn't there like a, like probably, well, at least one priest is like a canon lawyer or something? Yeah. Or so the the office of the tribunal. So Father Steve, who is the chancellor, is also um, in charge of the tribunal. So he's the main priest for that. And then you usually have to have somebody who's trained in canon law to be uh, what's called a defender of the bond. And then I forget, there's like two or three offices that are needed. So you need, okay. it doesn't have to be a priest always, but I think the chancellor has to be, no, the chancellor doesn't have to be a priest, but there's one of those positions that has to be a priest, I think. Um, yeah, and that, that's just kind of like understanding more of like the, like 
how things like need to happen according to like the law of yeah. Rome to yeah. a certain extent. Basically, church law. So yeah. canon law um, is laws of the church that guide how the church governs and works and makes sure that everything is is according to it, how it ought to be. And so, um, the the chancery in some ways is involved in that. But then the tribunal, specifically in regards to marriage and annulments and that sort of thing. So the a lot of times the vicar general and the chancellor have some training in canon law. Not always, but a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. And so I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I always think think that's interesting because it's like a lot of these because um, uh, a lot of these roles require further education. Yeah. And so yeah, uh, canon law is like three years of extra school. Yeah. So yeah. you've already done. <laughs> Six or eight years as a priest, and then you go get sent away for three more years. It's like, oh my gosh, this is forever schooling. Yeah, yeah. And you have to study Latin and look at the canons and try to figure out what it all means. And yeah, so yeah, all all of those positions actually require some education, some further study, and so forth. Um, and um, in each office, most of them would have some kind of support with lay lay uh, staff at the diocese not all but there's a number of secretaries at the diocese and then there's a number of other staff so there's um, somebody who's in charge of schools or somebody who's in charge of uh, safe environment so care for making sure that our children are protected um, someone who's in charge of finance and someone who's in charge of business and how the business office and someone who's in charge of um, the archives. I mean, there's there's lots of little parts of the diocese that most people just don't even think about because we don't we don't see it. But all of that makes the diocese happen, makes the particular church function, and um, and we're really a small diocese in many ways. Like uh, our bishop Bishop Felton, apparently I mean, I've had this conversation, but just talking to some of the priests that have worked with, he's like. Yeah, this is a s- much smaller than Green Bay in terms of staff and um, the amount of money that we work with in a year is much smaller than many dioceses. We are a missionary diocese, which means our uh, percentage of Catholics is a, under a certain amount so that, you know, we, we're missionary territory in some sense. I forget if it's over 50% or something like that. If you're less than that, uh, if you're missionary. So there's a lot of dioceses in in our country that are mission dioceses, but, um, so yeah, very interesting. All the little hidden things. Yeah. 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 And uh, you know, a lot of people like we, we don't think about that day to day and especially when, I mean, it's kind of like this time of the year when like the UCA becomes mm-hmm. more of like a, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, so, uh, like that, a, yeah. a, a topic, yeah. um, which, which that's, you know, United Catholic appeal, which is, yeah basically like uh the like each parish like owes a specific amount to the diocese we are assessed based on our um and i'm going to be sharing with the person or some of this in the bulletin two weeks from now i think but we are assessed on our ordinary income so the amount of money that we collect in envelopes um so the diocese basically gives an 18 percent uh assessment of every parish's income to try to make up their own budget and say that this is what we're going to live off of. So 
we collect our money, and then 18% of that is the amount that we need to collect in addition to send to the diocese. That's why it's really two things going on. We have our collection for the parish's work, and then there's a collection for the diocese's work. And so if, if we don't make up, if we don't make our goal, our assessment, then we basically have to take funds from, from our collection to, to make that the difference. So that's why it's important that we make our goal. But it's always kind of the scramble of the last couple of months of like, yeah, yeah, we gotta, we gotta make our goal. We're not, mar- we're not there yet. So, um, so actually, yeah, we're going to be doing, unfortunately, not my favorite, but it's like, well, what are we going to do? So we're going to be doing some sec- second collections in regards to trying to meet our goal. Cause we're only about halfway there. And we only have October, November, December, three months. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, I feel like the UCA is one of those things where it's like, ah, like, it kind of leaves a bad taste in some people's mouths, which I do kind of understand. Yeah. Um, Especially when you, it's like, it's like, oh, it's not like a tax, but it's kind of basically a tax. Yeah. And so, like, that's, um, like, that's something that, um, it's just like, I don't know, not usually fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, money once again, um, like like talk, just talking about money and asking for money isn't always like yeah. uh, a fun thing. Except for except for like those very few people that like love doing it and are really yeah. good at it. But <laughs> yeah, not me. But yeah, no, it's it is necessary, and we have to figure out ways to to make that work. And so, um, I, in my experience as a pastor, it's. This is always a struggle at this time of year. It's like, oh, we gotta gotta make our goal, but like, how else is the dice was supposed to function? You know, if they don't yeah, have that yeah. money, if they don't have the money coming in, then they can't do the work that they need. They can't afford the staff they need. Um, can't pay for our seminarians. Can't pay for, um, you know, all the programs that they provide. So. Well, and even like the clergy conference next week. Yeah, you know, that's getting paid for by this. Yeah, by the UCA money. And right. It's like you guys need need that. Right. And it's like all of it's very much like um, necessary things. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's all good, but it's just uh, like the, the the act of kind of getting there is uh, uh, uncomfortable, maybe. Right. So. Yeah. Um, even as I, you know. I'm a, I'm a electronic giver. I like I not I like not having to think about it. Yeah. So that's what I do. So I do give some to the UCA, but because we did our second collection last week, I'm like, well, I'm asking everybody else to do this. I better do it too. So, but it it is kind of like, ah, oh, well, another thing to give to because there's always lots of things to give to, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 necessary and it's for a good cause. So. So yeah, I think as a priest interacting with the diocese, um, sometimes it's like, oh, they're asking me to do this thing, or they want they want to promote something, and I think right now because of all the things that as a parish priest we're asked to do, like when something comes down to us, like hey, we want to promote this thing, like the bishops at the uh, last bishops conference talked about promoting like the Eucharist and talking like recatechizing people on the Eucharist, which is a great thing. Like I, I love that idea, but it's like, how are we going to make this happen? And so I think that'll probably be something we'll talk about at the, at the um, clergy conference, but it can seem like just another thing to do. Um, 
But then there's also lots of times when, like, I go to the diocese and I ask for help on figuring something out. Like, um, when we were doing this, preparing for this building project for the sanctuary at St. Lawrence, um, like, what what's the process for that? And what, you know, when does when do we need approval and those kinds of things? And um, when you're selling property or buying property, so we sold a little, we, we were donated some property at St. Lawrence a long time ago, apparently, but we finally sold it this past spring, I want to say. And that money actually helped us go down to Steubenville to, to do the Steubenville conference. Um, but like, how do you make that happen? Like what, what steps need to happen? So the yeah. diocese is really helpful giving guidance and making sure everything happens appropriately. And, um, so there are lots of times when I need help. Uh, we'll just change out some of our trustees for some of the parishes there. Again, I need the diocesan help to make that happen. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, it, there's, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes that people are not always aware of. So, yeah. Yeah. And maybe something as we kind of close up for this week, um, like, what do you think the, the, uh, like how should just like, like a normal kind of everyday parishioner, like how much should they like, I'm not, worry is probably not the right, right word, but to like, like be, um, like thinking of the diocese. Like, I don't know. Is that, do you think that's something that like people need to be like have in mind? Um, or is, is that, uh, cause I, like, I feel like for the most part, everyone kind of is like, oh, right. The diocese is a thing that exists. <laughs> um, that we give money to, mm-hmm. or, you know, like I send my kid to a camp, yeah. but like not actively, we don't like actively yeah. like have it in mind or think about it. I, I think it's important to realize that as Catholics, we are part of something much bigger than our parish. I, I think on that level, it's always good to remember that I am not just a St. Lawrence Catholic or a Holy Family Catholic or a St. Joseph Catholic. I'm a Roman Catholic. And so that means I'm part of the diocese. It means I'm part of the universal church. And to keep that connection to the bigger, broader scope really ties us to Christ because Christ is not, you know, one place, one thing. He's universal. And so the Catholic church is Christ's church. And so if we only focus on our parish or something smaller than that, even, um, we're, we're not having the proper perspective. And I think that's one of the challenges the church is going through right now is many parishes are struggling to stay open or um, having to kind of rethink their financial models or whatever. A lot of Catholic organizations across our country and the world even are, are struggling because of the models that we have are maybe not currently working the best. And so instead of focusing on the mission of the church and why we exist, we're focusing on our little piece of the pie and trying to keep my piece of the pie and stay open and do what we have always done, which isn't necessarily always working right now. So, I mean, that's, I think, been, if if I'm honest, that's been one of my struggles with uh, how to, work with St. Joseph's in the Heights and their situation and even the other parishes that I'm working with here and that I worked with before is 
how do we keep on task of what is our mission as Catholics? Why do we exist? And how do we focus on that rather than just on these bricks and mortar buildings? Um, I mean, it all works together, right? It all, all, all of it's important. But when we lose perspective of the bigger, broader organization, bigger, broader reality of the church, we can get so focused in that we um, we lose that perspective of the universal call that we have and the missionary call that we have. Um, and so I think for people sitting in the pews, just to keep that perspective of I'm part of something much greater, much bigger than my parish, um, it's always helpful to just have that perspective. Like I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm not a, uh, a Catholic that has this one little location and that's all that my catholicism consists of yeah yeah so yeah yeah you know i think i think that's great noticing that we're you know part of a of a larger community and um and i think that that also takes away some of the like mine and yours Mm -hmm. it's like no competition like which which i think uh, is is to a certain extent is there's like a natural human tendency to be like oh this is mine that's yours mm-hmm. uh, and ours is better <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, which which happens you know with everything yeah. um, but like I do notice that not not even just like here in Duluth but just like all over the place yeah. like everywhere that I've been it's it's like that mm-hmm. uh, to, to a certain extent yeah yeah, um, yeah. you see um, that with like sports team rivalries yeah, and yeah. everything yeah yeah and, and even like uh, Duluth and Superior, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, well, Superior is bad because it's over there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or just like not as good or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's like it's like, oh, that's not how the church works. Yeah, that's how like sport teams can work. Yeah, that's 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 how they're supposed to work. That's not how churches are supposed to work. Right. 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 Yeah, we kind of <laughs> we kind of just fall back on that model, though. Yeah. As yeah, as Catholics living in a world that often works along those lines. Yeah. yeah. But it's like now we're 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 one church with just different outposts. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So. Good. Um well yeah, thank you, Father, for uh for yeah joining me and and uh the wisdom <laughs> that, that you are sharing with sharing with us. Yeah. Uh, next week I think we're gonna have the handmade zone. So that's oh, exciting. That, that'll Something be nice. different. Yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so so yeah, so um hopefully you all will join us for that uh next week um we hope you have a good rest of your week and day uh and we'll catch you next time